Well, hi. Hi there. What on earth do you think you're doing? I'm trying to record this podcast, and it feels like without fail, everyone seems to know that as soon as I turn the recording equipment on, the construction across the street begins in earnest with jackhammers, and all the people in my house go into the room right above me. I'm in a basement, and there are children like marching and dropping marbles right now. So that's what I'm doing. What are you doing? Anyway. (laughs) Hi, you're listening to Everything's Relative Podcast. That's the main audio right here. I'm Eve Sturgis, the host of this podcast. We, and by we, I mean me, uh, and you, and my guests are here to talk about DNA discoveries that rock people's world in extremely unexpected ways. Like they find out they were adopted or donor conceived or at least one parent isn't their biological parent. It's happening all of the time. Trust me. Um, And one of the resources that people like me who have a surprise like this have really grown to rely on is, of course, the people who have been walking this identity journey before us. And I am talking about adoptees. We are learning so much from the adoptee community and finding all sorts of similarities and overlaps in these experiences. It's one of the reasons why Hyrith Hope and Healing, their retreats and support groups, includes adoptees. Um, it's why Untangling Our Roots Summit was a gathering of organizations like Right to Know and National Association of Adoptees and Parents. And it's why I invite adoptees to come on my podcast. Rebecca Berg is an adoptee right here in Los Angeles. It was such a pleasure to have her on and fascinating to talk with her about not only her own journey, but also how it affects her work as a dietitian working in the eating disorder world. Possibly my favorite part. I love. I don't want to say there's a favorite part, but I really love the way she describes the feeling like she was watching or reading a movie when she was exploring her own history and hearing about things and reading documents. I just, I, for one, really relate to that feeling of observation and separation from experiences, my own life experiences. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll let you, you hear her talk about it in her own words. Enjoy me and Rebecca. I think she would say if you're hungry to get a snack while you're listening to this. This is Everything's Relative Podcast. I'm Eve Sturgis. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you go by Rebecca or Becca or Becky? Yeah, I'm a Rebecca only girl. So no nicknames for me, just Rebecca. Don't worry. I didn't even want to give you a nickname. (laughs) I would never. I would never. Thank you. So are you in Los Angeles? I am. Yeah. I'm over in Culver City and I know you're on the east side, right? Yeah. 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 So we're on opposite ends of the city. You maybe have cooler evenings. What is your weather like today? Hot as hell, but I mean, so hot. Yeah. (laughs) It's like 80 something here. So it's probably like a hundred degrees where you are. Yes, that is correct. Uh, I love the east side, but I could never live over there because I just can't handle the heat. How long have you been there? 
Or how long have you been, have, how long have you been in LA? 17 years. And I've been on the East side the whole time. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. yeah we were just talking about it the other day. Um, someone basically, I said, I'm going to move to LA. And one person said, oh, you should move to Silver Lake. You would like it. <laughs> so I did that. And now here we are. <laughs> so 17 years later, they were correct. That person was correct. It was meant to be. I mean, Silver Lake's dreamy, so I get it. It's dreamy, yeah. We're, we're even further east now, but my original roots are in Silver Lake. So, Rebecca Berg, is that how you say it? Yes. So, this is fun and interesting because you're a part of the many people who contacted me kind of fast, quickly, when I said, like, I only have a few spots, but you've been around. Um, we've communicated a little bit, like, in the in the socials. Yeah. <laughs> and your handle is interesting because it's no strings nutrition. Mm -hmm. And I'm so used to communicating with people whose like DNA discovery or association is in their handle, so, you know, like, oh, so I was more of a mystery. Yeah. I was like, why? <laughs> no strings nutrition. Like, how could somebody about nutrition also have had a DNA surprise or be adopted? <laughs> so I was excited when you reached out to ask if you could be a part of it, because I would love to know how you are like weaving these worlds together mm -hmm. and if it's related at all. Um, yeah. Like it is. It seems like it is when I go through your profile and have checked things out before. So, so you tell me what, what brings you to, I want to say our world, but that makes it sound like our like we have a community and you're new and that's not what I mean at all <laughs> I also like the other way to put it is how do you fit in I totally I I get where you're going with that I get the vibe so I think it, it really was like two parts of my, my identity colliding so I've been a dietitian since 2018 2019 and I've been in LA for five years now um and I am in the so I was helping folks to repair their relationship with food. And while I was starting out there, I was on a parallel journey myself in therapy, kind of trying to rediscover who I was because I felt like a, a just a, a walking dietitian is how I put it. Like I'm like my whole life, my whole world is being an eating disorder dietitian. All I'm doing is thinking about eating disorders and helping people and caring for people. Like I feel like something's off. So when I started going to therapy and I was exploring like different parts of my identity in my childhood, at first, the fact that I was adopted, I was like, no, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. <laughs> like, we don't need to talk about that. Um, and then eventually it did come up again. And once I sort of opened that door, it was like, I couldn't go back to the person that I was before. What do you think, what made it different that time that you, what was the realization while thinking about it? Did somebody say something specific or you saw, you know, what, what inspired like a shift in perspective? Do you know, are you familiar with Anne Heffron? Yes. Okay. So I, I was following, it was just on Instagram one day, looking at something from another therapist, Tiffany Rowe, who's like pretty um, famous in the therapy world. I feel like she has a lot of followers. And she said something about adoption. 
And I thought to myself, oh, that's so weird. Like I've never looked up anything about adoption ever on social media. So I clicked one of the hashtags and the first thing that popped up was a, some posts from Anne and it said, adoption is trauma. And so I'm in this world, I'm in this eating disorder world. I'm an eating disorder dietitian. I'm working at the Reconnect Trauma Treatment Center in the Pacific Palisades. And at that point I had been identifying some of like my own PTSD symptoms with my therapist. And so I saw the post and I had like a full body reaction. Like I just felt like, I just felt like something shift in my entire energy. And I sat down and I couldn't breathe. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Was, so it wasn't just like, like a rich, yeah. It wasn't just like, oh, I should look at that a little more. It was like a real visceral, like cellular experience. It of- was. It was, it was like, I need to grab the wall. Like I can't, what's going on? Oh my God. Like this is, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it besides like, that was a moment when everything changed. Yeah. Wow. And how long ago was that? That was March or April of 2021. Okay. So I'm still pretty new to, I wasn't going to judge whether that was long or short. I was just curious (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) where you were at. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, I, it's taken me, it's taken me a while to be comfortable talking about my experience as an adoptee, since I do feel like it's still something relatively new that I'm talking about, um, to other people in my life, but knowing everything that I know about trauma and eating disorders, I started to look into the research around eating disorders and the adoptee population. And then in my own personal experience and support groups, it was like every, every person I talked to struggled with eating or their body image or their shape. So it was natural. Yeah. I mean, I just want to pause quick, just for a second. Um, just in case there are any listeners who, um, aren't as familiar with the eating disorder, um, treatment paradigm, like I might be, let's just say really quick, um, that the more and more studies and uh, data that comes out, the more and more we now know that eating disorders are so much about trauma. There's so much about shame. There's so much about identity. Um, And very, very rarely is it purely um, about being skinny or um, being on a diet, although that, that can play a role, but it can go can and usually goes much, much deeper than what our sort of like popular representation of an eating disorder is. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to to catch everybody up just in case there was anybody going like, I don't understand what this is. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> like, why is a dietitian dealing with trauma? Why isn't she just teaching them how to like get 1200 calories a day? And like, it's not, it's yes, it's about the calories, but it's so much about so much more like deeper conceptual immeasurable things yeah i think a lot of people don't realize how much their food behaviors are a reflection of how they feel in their body and how you know regulated or dysregulated regulated they are in terms of their nervous system um and so a lot of the ways that we eat and we move and we and we just live as humans are 
a reflection of what's going on inside and for adoptees. And I imagine, you know, the DNA discovery community as a whole and the non-parental expected community as a whole, you know, that's, that's similar. Some of those somatic feelings. Sure. Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about your adoption and what, yeah, just in just your own autobiographical experience of exploring it more? Yeah, of course. So I've always known I was adopted. I'm not not a surprise at all. <laughs> I feel like my parents were whispering it into my ear as a baby. Like, I don't know if that's actually true, but I just I don't even have a memory of when they told me. And for a while, my relationship to it was just sort of like a, a neutral fact about myself. Like, I have green eyes and I have, you know, I have my my feet are size eight and I'm adopted. Where was this? Oh, I'm originally from Baltimore. I've seen The Wire. I know all about it. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I'm an infant, same race, domestic adoptee. So I'll, I'll just add all the, the tags. Um, but my my mom uh, was a social worker for her entire career who specialized in adoption. So that was something that kind of meant that it was just like a normal thing that that we that I was exposed to um in terms of you know I have you know I'm, I'm going to court today and there's a TPR hearing and you know I'm trying to find a placement for this child like it was just part of the normal um dinner time conversation in my world uh, and I'm an only child as well but it was never something that I related back to myself and never really talked about with anyone um I definitely have some some journals and some diary entries from when I was a teenager around like, I feel different. I feel lonely. Why do I feel this way? You know, I, I feel like I don't know who I am, but it just really wasn't connecting the dots at that point. Um, it makes sense because it, because you have this, like, this is not a bad, it's not a bad thing necessarily, but like, it's so normalized that it didn't even occur to you that there might be like internal um conflict <laughs> with it yeah right? exactly and you know i i i also have a lot of other people in my family who are adopted so i have um cousins on my my dad's side who are adopted and cousins on my mom's side who are adopted and like nobody we didn't all get together and like have an adoptee support. Right. No one was like, hey, let's have a quick check-in about our trauma. How's everybody doing? Let's talk about some statistics about adult adoptees. Where's everyone feeling about those things? Right. Yeah. So it was just like, I don't know, not something that was acknowledged very much. And my I feel like I don't know the actual frequency, but my mom would come in what felt like every six months and be like, hey, do you want to talk about being adopted, like, do you think about your birth mom? Like, how are you feeling? And I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I feel extremely awkward and I don't want to talk about this with you. So basically she would check in and I would be like, no, like no thoughts. That's don't want to talk about it. Good. So funny. I mean, I, I guess maybe there's probably people listening to this and they're like, there, that is not funny, but um, it's sort of like adorable and, and like, so perhaps like so well-intentioned. I'm imagining she had such good intentions. She's like, I'm a social worker. I know about this stuff. We're going to exactly. talk about it. I am going to communicate with my daughter about this. Yes. We're like, no. all right, weirdo. <laughs> back up, back, <laughs> like 
Why are you so awkward? I I love, I love my mom. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, knowing that she is a social worker, obviously I know her intentions were pure and that she loves me. It's just, that wasn't, that was very going from like never mentioning it ever to then coming into my room and being like, let's have a chat about it. I was like, no, that's, you know, my body could not handle that. Um, too abrupt. Absolutely. And she had some documents to share with me a letter that my birth mom had written me and then um, my birth history. And she kept, once I turned 18, she was like, do you want this letter? Do you want this letter? And I just kept being like, no, I don't want it. <laughs> like, I was just like, at, no, no, not ready for that. Like I was waiting for, I think I was waiting to feel ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and that never happened until eventually, I, I think I was 26 or 27. When my mom was like, here, you must have these documents. And I took them and I read them and it was a lot. It was a very, um, I don't know if you've ever seen any like birth history documents from the seventies, eighties or nineties, but they're, they're written so clinically. Right. And so, um, when I was reading it, I was kind of like, wow, this story is so intense like this is like a movie and I would show I would show it to people and give it to people and like read this can you believe this is about me but like I was so disconnected from it right that's interesting to describe it as reading it like a movie because it keeps you a degree away from it right yeah and so when you say birth documents it wasn't just like a birth certificate or a birth history so it was a report of tell me tell me more about what that is what were people reading when you were handing people thing? What were they reading? What was like a movie? <laughs> it, it was like, um, you know, birth mother is five feet, seven inches tall with green eyes and light brown hair and is of Irish descent. Birth father is believed to be, you know, this many inches tall with this color hair. Birth mother did not complete like high school, like those kinds of just like very, um, very detached ways of describing things. And then it went into the story of my conception and, you know, how, how it all unfolded, which is very, very intense is why I say it's a movie because my birth mother um, was engaged to be married to someone. And unfortunately he was driving home one night in Pittsburgh and he, um, crashed into a telephone pole and they took him to the hospital and he passed away. And so that was incredibly traumatic and distressing for um, my bio mom. And she was only 20 at that time. That sort of upended her whole life. Mm -hmm. And um, she ended up the way that the the way that the document describes it is um, seeking comfort in the arms of a close friend one night so so she sought comfort in the arms of a friend and then didn't and didn't know anything had happened because she was on birth control and then in the summer she was gaining weight and uh went to the doctor found out she was pregnant you know the the way that it's described is it's it's so interesting to me because like did they not think that i was gonna read it Mm -hmm. one day when I was older, like the way that it's described is 
you know, birth mother was very distressed by this news, very upset, tried to get an abortion and was told it was too late, um, kept it a secret from everybody, and then um, was going to start doing prenatal care and make a plan for adoption, but then went into sudden preterm labor, um, had to be emergency airlifted from the the uh, Ocean City area of Maryland all the way into Baltimore, Maryland, um, had a really intense infection. Like I was only two pounds, 11 ounces. So I was really, really, really small. Oh, that is such a little baby. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was really small. That's just in the palm of your hand. You're a palm of the hand, baby. Mm-hmm. All of that is, it's just like, negative. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so interesting for you to say and, and such a, such, such as testimony, I think to how much no one is thinking about all these things. They just know they have to have this report for some reason. And, mm-hmm. and so for you to say like, do they not think that I'd be reading it later? And for some reason, I don't, I don't know that when they developed this, the protocol, your feelings were a part of it at all. Right. I know what you mean by clinicals, especially when it's like client reported this and this. And, you know, I know, I know that how did that language and um, I can see why. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Yeah. I think that, you know, part of that is being that it was 1990 and this was a closed adoption. Of course, the paperwork had to remove all identifying information. So it just says birth mother um, for all of it. But and I don't, I don't think I, yeah, like I didn't have a name at that point. So it just doesn't refer to me as anything. That's, can I, sorry, can I stop, can I stop you for yeah. a second? Just because that was really interesting because we're talking about how clinical the language is and how separate you feel from it. Mm-hmm. And, and then you didn't have a name. So they didn't refer to you as anything instead of as anyone. Mm. Mm-hmm. like even it's designed that way I think um but but just how interesting I'm just pointing it out I you know I just yeah. I'm just I'm just with you I am with you I'm fascinated <laughs> I, am, I am fascinated by this yeah so I I think at that point and my my memory is very fuzzy because I like I said I think I was pretty detached from myself at that time but I decided to reach out to try try to find my my bio mom and I worked with a friend of my mom's who was also a social worker who worked as a confidential intermediary so you know she she gave me this document that said like these are the kinds of things that you should say in your first letter and it's better if it's handwritten and don't mention the dad because usually that's a point of like contention and like upsetness so, you know, I'm a very, at that time, very like type A perfectionist, like have to follow the rules. I'm like, all right, I have to write this letter and I handwrite it and follow all the rules. And I sent the letter and, um, you know, my, my bio mom was very shocked and surprised because she never thought that that, that this was going to happen and very skeptical. Um, but eventually she, she was open to the idea that we could c- correspond via letters. And I remember when I got the letter I felt the same way. Like I remember walking down the street in New York city and my friend 
said to me, well, how do you feel? And I remember looking at her and saying, I don't feel anything. I, I don't, I don't feel anything. Like I thought, and I thought to myself, shouldn't I be feeling something? Shouldn't this be more exciting? Shouldn't this be more monumental? Like I always thought it would be sort of life-changing when I did find um, my bio mom, but I, I didn't feel anything. And we exchanged two letters and I didn't know what to say. And so I never wrote back. So I essentially ghosted her, um, which now is, is painful to me because I know how painful it was for her. But it wasn't until um, it wasn't until 20, 2021 that I reached out to her again with a totally new perspective after, like I said, seeing Anne Heffron's post and, and unpacking it more with my therapist. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, just I think the only the only way that I can personally connect with not feeling anything with these things is that um, is is the feeling that that these people or a person is a stranger mm -hmm. and um and i really struggle with knowing without having the time for a face-to-face -face conversation i don't even know where to start mm -hmm. to connect i just there's a um and therefore like with no connection the person remains kind of um a character out there yeah yeah I, yeah i can relate to that a lot because i I remember reading, you know, about all of all of my cousins, you know, she was saying like, I have a sister and she has this many children and you have a grandpa and his name is this and that. And I was just like, I don't know these people. I don't know them at all. These are all strangers to me. And it was just like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> so, you know, my 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 tool at the time was just to move on and do nothing. New York City has plenty of distractions. To keep you extremely busy. <laughs> if you don't want to look inward, go to New York City. <laughs> I was also finishing up my master's degree and preparing to move from New York City to Los Angeles. So I, I, there was just so much going on. And it's my I, I feel that my body, my soul, I was just not in a place to, to, to explore that at that time because my sole focus was becoming a registered dietitian and finishing my training and doing really well at that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then in 2021, you did, you reconnected with her. I did. So in that, in the last letter that she had sent me, she had given me her, her home address and her email and said that she felt comfortable not corresponding through the confidential intermediary. So I sent her a really long email. Um, it was, the day after Mother's Day. On Mother's Day, what I had done was my partner was away. So I had planned to do a long hike um, near the coast and, you know, take some snacks and her letter with me. And this was a letter that she wrote to me when I was born. And I took her letter and I took a picture of her and I hiked up to the top of this mountain and I just like felt what I needed to feel about the fact that the person that she was writing to in the, in the letter was me. And I was like, I just, I finally like felt it all in my body. And then, yeah, it was almost, it was almost sort of impulsively like I need to, I need to write to her. 
And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if she's going to respond, but she did respond right away saying that she was really happy to hear from me. And we started corresponding via email almost every day for a while, um, which then turned into exchanging text messages and pictures and, you know, our first phone call and a year later we met in person. And, and so it's, it's still very early, early. Yeah. That was like a year ago. So that would have been a year ago that you met her in person. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you're still in this like early developmental phase of developing a a relationship with this woman. Very much so. Yeah, it is. And it's like you said, it's like, it's almost like dating. Like (laughs) you have to, you don't know how the other person is going to respond and you're cautious and you're excited and you're careful. And sometimes it's too much and sometimes it's not enough. And just all the feelings. That's such a good description. It is like dating um, in that. Yeah. Or, you know, what, for what, in what other context are we thrust together with strangers, like as adults? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, yeah. here's, here's these expectations. You guys figure out how to reach them. <laughs> you know, right. you know and that's was, hard. There was no manual for any of this. And so, you know, I, that's why I really sought support in I tried to find more resources on Instagram and through podcasts and Facebook groups and support groups. Like I just need someone to help me figure out how the hell I'm supposed to do this. Wow. That must be so interesting for you to be going through this like personal experience of your own sort of like bringing us back to what you said in the beginning, like you're, you're going through your own identity development exploration journey with yourself and your family and reconciling ideas about adoption with the facts of adoption, all these things while in your day job, spending all this time with women with all sorts of trauma mm-hmm. who have, who have been, their coping skills have been different. Um, and then also noticing this like high rate of adoptees. The work is both was and is both uh, deeply healing and distracting. So caring for other people seven, eight hours a day was great for me. Cause I didn't have to think about myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I hear you. And I think, I think a lot of, a lot of adoptees that I've come across end up in the, the helping profession and the mm-hmm. healing profession. It's just interesting to me to, to know that I, I would, you know, I would do all, I would say all these things in my client sessions and then I would go to my therapy appointment and my therapist would say the exact same thing to me that right. I just said to them. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. That's so yeah. interesting. Um, have you heard of the new podcast called Adoptees at Work? No. Okay. So Peggy Arvidson is an adoptee. She just launched a podcast called Adoptees at Work, and she just wants to talk to adoptees about what they do for work and like yay, how being adopted like is a part of that or not. One of the first episodes is with someone who was a like a registered nurse for 25 years. And so it was about like being in the caring profession and how many adoptees find themselves in helping wow. caretaking places. That's so, so you should cool. connect with her. I want to. That's She's awesome. great. She's really great. Yeah. She's actually going to be on in a couple weeks. She's one of the people that signed up. So it'll be great. 
Yeah. Um, well, I guess I, I feel like I have to talk about the DNA part of all of this, <laughs> which is the other side of, of the, the, the other half of me, I suppose. So my bio mom didn't know any, like didn't know where my bio dad was because it was a one time only kind of thing. Um, and he has a very, very common name. So I wanted, I wanted to work with the confidential intermediary to find him as well. And had he known she was pregnant? The details of the details of the document and the details of my bio mom's memory and my, my adoptive parents' memory all sort of conflict. So the 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 birth history document says that he did know and that he was supportive of of her plan to give me up for adoption and then in her letter she wrote something similar like he's immature he's not ready to be a father um you know he he agreed the part that gets a little bit confusing is that my parents said they have documents from a lawyer that said it took them like almost a year to track him down to get him to finally sign the paperwork. And then in that, in those documents as well, it was shared that his parents, my grandparents didn't know that any of that was my bio grandparents didn't know that any of that was going on and were very upset that I was put up for adoption um, because both my both of my biological parents were raised in Catholic families, um, and I was raised Jewish, so that's a whole other layer of stuff. <laughs> um, but basically, you know, I don't really know about how those things actually unfolded, and I, I don't think I'm ever going to get like a, you know, the full picture. Um, but the so the confidential confidential intermediary took the information that we had and told me that she had found my biological father and that he had died. So because I didn't really have anything, I had no reason to believe that that wasn't true. So I believed it to be true and um, was devastated. Like as as, as soon as she called me, I was really surprised by my own reaction. I, I just started like wailing, like I Aww. crying, like I had never cried before knowing that um, I wasn't going to be able to connect with this person. And we, me and my partner now husband, we read, we read articles about him. We watched a tribute to his life on YouTube. Um, but all the while we were a little confused because I just felt like I just don't look like him at all. And I don't think that I look like my bio mom that much either. So to look like neither of them, which we're both like, this just feels like there's something weird here. So that's called intuition. (laughs) Yes. I've never felt like I had never felt at that point, like, grief and pain so intensely I actually Mm. had I had to take off work because I couldn't stop crying and my um 
eventually my bio mom texted me and she, you know, she said like, I haven't heard from you in a couple of days. How are you doing? And I said, I'm actually not doing well at all. You know, I have been looking for bio dad and it turns out that he's, he died and this and that. And I gave her some of the details. She was like, no, that's not right. <laughs> and I, I sent him some. I, for you. I was kind of waiting for you to chuckle so I could laugh because that would just be such an absurd experience. Oh, absurd. I, I call it, I call it the, 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 like the week that I mourned a stranger. Yeah. And now my husband and I laugh about it because we cried in each other's arms over this stranger. This other man who has a wonderful person. tribute on, on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. This other man with, you know, this very common name. Um, and so I sent her the, 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 the details and everything and some of the stuff that the confidential intermediary sent sent me and she was like that's not him did you talk to the confidential intermediary at this point I do they feel bad I just want to know if they feel bad you know I believe I believe that they they feel felt bad it was pretty it was pretty complicated for me because this was a close friend of my mom so I was very angry and I think if if this person hadn't been like already so close to our family, I may have been able to speak up for myself, but um, you know, I, they apologized, but I, you can't like undo it. It's hard. It's hard for me to imagine giving somebody that life changing news. If I wasn't a hundred percent certain that it was the truth, if I hadn't exhausted every Avenue. Um, so yeah, I was pretty upset. And at that point, that's when I said, okay, I think we need to turn to DNA. Um, because I don't think that this is gonna, I think I need to see if there's, you know, something else out there. So thank you for your help. I'll take it from here. Yeah, basically, I was like, you know what, I think it's I can, I can hear what she's explaining to me what she's doing. And I feel like I can do that too, like internet research and Facebook and all of that stuff. So I got my DNA tested through Ancestry and Ancestry.com and 23andMe. I did the Ancestry test first. And basically when I wasn't at work, I was like hand drawing family trees, trying to put together the pieces and like stalking people on Facebook. Um, and my mom also she was like, oh, do you know I have these other documents from the lawyers in the safe deposit box at home? And I and I was like, well, that would have been good to know. So she was at home. She still lives in Baltimore. So she was in Baltimore holding up the documents to the light, trying to see the redacted information through the, the whiteout. And I was like writing down the letters and stuff and the addresses. And so to make a long story short, basically combination of the DNA and the redacted information on these lawyer documents got me to some addresses and some people. Um, and I had a pretty good idea of like the, my, who my paternal great grandfather was. Um, but once again, this really, really common name. And if you, where where both of my biological parents are from in Pittsburgh, like there were just so many people named that. So it was extra difficult. But then when I got my 23andMe results back, 
there was an uncle. Finally, someone who was closer than like a fourth cousin. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Wasn't helpful. Um, And so I connected with the uncle and I sent him a message and he didn't respond. I'm like, oh, how long do I wait Mm -hmm. before I go to the other avenues of bugging people? So based on the uncle's name, I found all of my uncles on Facebook. And I was like, I don't have anything to lose. I'm going to send all of them a Facebook message. And that's what I did. And less than 24 hours later, my biological dad called me and left me a voicemail while Whoa. I was in a session. And I saw I saw my phone ringing and I saw that it said Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I was like, t- listening to the person talk. And I was like, oh my God, that's my biological dad. I'm like, I'm certain of it. Wow. Yes. Wow. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> so all of that to say through through DNA and a lot of Facebook stalking was how I found people. And because I was trying to find, because I was combing through every person with the name that my, my bio dad is named, there was a there was a detail in one of the lawyer's documents that said that he had worked at this particular restaurant at in the 80s. And I saw a picture of this guy who was wearing the hat. Oh my God. From that restaurant. And I showed it to Greg and who who's my husband. And he was like, that's it. That's him. Oh my gosh. You guys are like... <laughs> usual suspects or something where suddenly like all the pieces <laughs> fall together. Yeah. The crazy thing is when I, when I ended up talking to my bio dad, I said, I found it. Like I, I found this picture of you. So I was pretty sure this account was you. And he was like, Oh, I, I don't go on Facebook. One of my old girlfriends set that up for me like 10 years ago. It's like, she put that picture on your Facebook account. Because if that picture wasn't there, there would have been no way for me to know. Because he's an, you know, he's an older man now, so I, I don't really see myself reflected in his face. But in his face when he was 21, 22, oh, hell yeah. Wow. Well, thanks, ex-girlfriend. But what? <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, really, it really was astonishing. And it was a lot of work. The reconnection with my bio dad was a, a, how do I put this? Uh, More detached because he was quite detached um, and basically said something along the lines of like, I haven't thought about you in 30 years. And so. (laughs) Not funny. <clears throat> I mean, I was like, okay. <laughs> Glad it was out of sight, out of mind for you, sir. Not really sure what to do with that information, but um, you know, I learned that I have two half brothers and also in another interesting twist um uh, in my story, a half sister because my bio dad the woman that he, um, the woman that he was, he is partnered with who he had his two sons with, they briefly split up. And during the break, he slept with another woman. That woman became pregnant 
and had a child. We all know about the breaks. <laughs> and so um, it was 13 years into this child's life that she had a astonishing discovery when she was told that, you know, your dad that you live with is not your biological dad. Your dad is actually this other guy. Rebecca's dad. Yep. My dad. <laughs> so yeah. So I have two, I have two half brothers and a half sister. Um, I have not met any of them in person and um, haven't really talked to them much as, as you touched upon before. It's tough because we're all strangers and, you know, I, my, my lineage is like a working class Catholic, intensely Catholic people in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I grew up Jewish in Baltimore, Maryland. And, you know, I would say, you know, of a different socioeconomic status, different educational status. So it is definitely harder for me to connect with them. Um, and it's weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I relate to that. I relate to that. You're not saying it, but for me, it ends up coming. Yeah, it, it, like there's just so many variables of um, uh, worldviews are so different. Yeah. And the way life is and the way life should be or the way people behave and the way the world works and um politics come into that and religion comes into that mm -hmm. it's really hard to when you already know all of that the differences it's really hard to know how to sit down and find the similarities hmm. that's a good way to put it maybe that's just my 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 thing because i'm like i haven't even been able to sit down and try and find what the similarities are really um and part of that is the pandemic and part of it is everyone is very busy and different lives. And I think they feel the same way um, as far as like, what do we, how do we, where do yeah. we? Totally. And, and my, my bio dad specifically, he told me um, he works in, he works in construction and truck driving, I believe. And um, his schedule is just, and he's on the East coast. So his schedule is just so different than mine. He like wakes up at three or four in the morning and goes to bed at like six or 7 PM. Even then, there's like, there's not a lot of time that we overlap. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just hard to know where to start. Definitely. Extremely hard. Yeah. Wow. What a story. I don't even know where to, I don't even know where to go from there. I hope you have a question planned. <laughs> yeah. So, well, um, so yeah. So, so now you have a, a like growing and developing relationship with your bio mother mm -hmm. and you're working on sort of like healing yourself mm -hmm. and a more distant relationship with your bio father but he's out there and there's some siblings mm -hmm. oh yeah and he ha he also has a dog named trauma he had a dog named trauma he has a dog he has a pit bull and he named his pit bull trauma i mean it, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't really get any better than that <laughs> i know that was like one of the first things that he told me. He sent me a picture of himself on his motorcycle. And he was like, and here's my pit bull. Her name is Trauma. Like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can see what you mean about feeling like you're not quite sure where, where the connection can land. <sighs> what do you think has helped you the most since you've begun this um, adoptee identity unpacking 
exploration? Hmm. I would say, well, therapy number one, because <laughs> I have a really strong relationship with my therapist. And then secondly, writing about it and talking about it with others. Um, you know, this was talking about it was something that was so difficult for me in the beginning. Like I couldn't talk about it without becoming emotional or, you know, feeling inc incredibly frozen. So even for me now, just having this having this conversation and talking about it, feeling relaxed, like having it be integrated in, into who I am is a big step. Um, and, and leaning on the community of people who have already been there and, and know these feelings and um, having sharing these feelings and also feeling like, oh, this isn't weird. This is normal. And I remember going to my first um, adoptees connect group in Long Beach and everyone was in a circle and they were sharing their feelings. And I was thinking to myself, holy shit, it's like they're in my head. <laughs> like, that's how I felt. <laughs> like, I really felt like, I really felt like I was alone. Like I was just weird that something was wrong with me, that I was having these feelings. And then to have all of these other people say, nope, I feel that way too. It was just like, oh, okay. I feel a lot better now. And reading, reading a lot. Um, I've read a lot of books, which really helps. Yeah. That is so great. I'm so glad that you found all of that for yourself. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for that hashtag. Thank goodness for that hashtag. Yes. It's that one time, right? <laughs> and now, I mean, I'm trying to build a similar community through my Instagram and, and ex using hashtags and exploring hashtags and, um, I guess, I, I mean, you know, because you're also on social media, like, I don't think I was expecting to find to be able to find as much community as I did, like real community and real relationships from Instagram. And so do you I know that your work, your work in your in your job is with is with the eating disorder community. Are you also um, focusing on on the sort of like wider discussion of nutrition and the adoptee community, or do you keep them pretty separate? Well, I, so before I started my private practice in January and before that I was in group private practice focused on eating disorders and um, mental health. And so now that I have my own practice, I, I really do want to work with adoptees because I think you know, we have this, we have a community that is so rich. We have our own language. We have our, our own experiences and feelings. And if you're outside of that community, it can be really exhausting to have to explain yourself over and over again. And so I'm in this place of wanting to educate not only adoptees about the relationship between, you know, their relationship with food and their adoptee experience, but also the wider community as a whole, other other clinicians, other therapists, other registered dietitians, because we're really plugged into like trauma affecting people's relationships with their bodies and with their with food. I think we have that down. But when it comes to encompassing the adoptee experience in that, I don't think people are are there yet. I don't think there's I don't think they're where they need to be in terms of like the sensitivity in considering that community. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. That's great. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, I'm so, I'm like so excited for the community. 
to have you like for both yeah. the dietitian and mental health community and then also for the adoptee community that you're finding a way to um to merge these two like really yeah that you are finding a way to merge these two closely related trying to issues, i mean right? i'm excited to i'm presenting at the adoption knowledge associates virtual conference in november um on this topic and i think it's it's really cool to talk about it because the biggest reaction that i get is whoa i've never thought about this before i've never heard anyone talking about it before um from a clinician's perspective mm -hmm. so i just think that's super cool and i and i really i really want people to know that they're not alone in that that's so amazingly powerful yeah well i hope we can connect again especially because you're in la yeah i would love to yeah this is let's keep talking um this was really fun and interesting Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you jumped on the <laughs> the the interview the interview wait list or whatever. I don't know the the wagon. I don't know what I'm saying, but yeah. Um, I yeah. I like how you were updating us in real time. Like, hey, I need I need a couple more slots filled, and then you were like, oh my gosh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> like everyone wants to talk to me. I was not expecting this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really, really great. So fun. Like it's going to be, it makes yeah. it really ex exciting way to like finish up the season or whatever is. Yeah. Well, it just, I mean, I think it just goes to show how much, how eager we are to share, how eager everyone in this connected community is to share our stories and to have a platform to share it with like a safe person who understands. Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad I can like offer that or provide that for people. And, um, if you're listening right now and you think you want to talk about it, like reach out, contact me. And <laughs> if you want to, um, connect more with Rebecca, her Instagram account is at no.strings.nutrition. You can also find me at www.nostringsnutrition.com. Great. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, maybe some send some of your fog over our way there was that cool <laughs> that cool marine air that cool marine air send it send it push it push it east okay well i just have to say that when you said send some of your fog i thought you were trying to make an adoptee reference adoptees out of the fog and i was like i i feel like i'm out of the fog like i don't have any fog to send <laughs> send your fog out to the universe no 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 i meant the cool marine air yes stay cool and we'll talk soon. Yeah. Awesome. This is great, okay. Rebecca. Thank you so much. Of course. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Before making this recording, just now, I checked the weather in Culver City, the area that Rebecca lives in, and I want to confirm that today there is exactly a 10 degree difference between our two neighborhoods. We were not kidding about that. Rebecca was a fantastic guest. I'm so grateful that she wanted to talk about her identity journey as an adoptee and how she uses her shifting perspective about trauma in her work. And I really hope we can meet up in person soon, preferably on her side of town where it is less hot, which means that I'll be making the drive. And it's the drive, folks, that keeps us all separated here in this town of Los Angeles. Anyway, thanks for being with here, being here, being with here, being with here with me today. Thank you for being here with me today. 
You know what I'm trying to say. This project has really been a labor of love. I couldn't do it without you listening. I mean, well, I guess I could have been doing it all this time without anyone listening. But I really appreciate your support. So if you are enjoying it, please consider heading over to my website, everythingsrelativepodcast.com. Become a patron on Patreon. Make sure you're following me on the socials at Everything's Relative Podcast. And hey, leave a review. Am I going to do a review of the week? Let's skip it. I'll do a review of the week next week. I actually met a woman last weekend when I was at the Reckoning with a Primal Wound screening in Costa Mesa. And she was like, I know, I know. Subscribe, share, review. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry if I'm a broken record. But here I am doing it anyway. This was episode 96. I think I said that the last episode was episode 96. And everyone, that was wrong. Rebecca is 96. Which means that we are just four more away until we have reached 100 episodes. But then what? Uh, Well, there's going to be more episodes after 100. Uh, It's not the end of the season. But 100 was my ultimate goal. It's when I want to have cake. And I'm making it a very big deal for myself. Um, I'm going to do some giveaways to my listeners and eat cake. Celebrate this achievement that we have all reached together. Really couldn't do it without you. So come back next week. One episode closer to cake. And until then, get that back to school shopping done or back to school preparation done. Oh, oh my goodness. I just realized that by the time this episode posts, my kids will have already started school. Ah, where does the time go? I'm in the past. Talking about the future. Podcasting is so weird, man. Okay. Anyway, pack the lunches. Join the PTA. Take your vitamins. And tie your shoes. This is Everything's Relative Podcast. I'm Eve Sturgis. Bye-bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Eve Sturgis and Kaylin Egan and edited by Joy Rumor. Logo designed by Ivy McNally and music is used with permission from Goodbye the Band. Eve is a licensed psychotherapist, but her podcast episodes are not therapy sessions. Oh, you know what? Hold on. I was, I mean, I'm glad I've been yelling and talking with a deep voice. But my mic was not plugged in. <laughs> oh no, that sucks. It's, it's it's okay. It's still recording. It just um, it just was recording like through the regular computer. I think. Hold on. Hilarious. Hilarious. This is so on brand for me. <laughs> on brand. If I had my earphones in, if I had earphones in, I would have remembered. I mean, I would have realized. And. Um, I just want you to know, also, anybody who's been listening to my audio saga, my husband is constantly like, well, did you listen in the in the earphones? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, I put them in. Leave me alone. God, I do all the things. Mm-hmm. All right. He wins this time. One to you, Kaylin Egan. Okay. We're back.